Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast designed to help you live your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I am your host, Ron Kaiser. I'm a positive health psychologist and also author of the award-winning and best-selling book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is The Mental Health Gym. It's your source of information for all things about positive psychology, goal-achieving psychology, which is my spin on the field, wellness in general, and rejuvenating. And it's also a place where you can contact me to recommend additional guests for the podcast. As listeners to the podcast know, we tend to feature very interesting, informative, and in some cases, entertaining guests, but they all have in common the fact that they live their lives enthusiastically and they have something to tell us that can help us to live our lives with enthusiasm too. And in that case, we have a guest today who is really special and brings new information and a new way of helping us to be the best version of ourselves wherever we are in the lifespan. Dr. Melanie Keller is a naturopathic physician. Her clinical expertise is in the treatment of irritable bowel syndrome, or IBS, and small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, or SIBO, or SIBO. I understand it's pronounced both ways. She's an alumna of the National University of Natural Medicine in Portland, Oregon, where she was a contributing physician in the development of the SIBO Center and the SIBO Symposiums. She is particularly passionate about epigenetics and nutrigenomic influences that contribute to digestive health and longevity. So I think we're probably going to learn lots of different things, including some new vocabulary terms. Dr. Melanie consults with clients virtually, which I guess means online, and she is based in Los Angeles. Dr. Melanie, welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. It's such a pleasure to have you with us. We've never had a naturopathic physician on our program, and we're looking forward to your enlightening us and giving us more ideas for how to live our lives enthusiastically wherever we are in the lifespan. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here in the first naturopathic doctor. <laughs> yeah, you're breaking ground for us, so we're looking forward to it. I said we're probably going to learn oh, some new vocabulary terms on this program. Why don't we start with the obvious one? What is a naturopathic physician? Many of us know what a physician is, but I suspect that some of us haven't heard of naturopathic physician before, or if we've heard of it, we're not real sure what, what you do. Sure. Yeah, it's a good thing to get straightened out because there are people who may have, let's say, there's maybe a spectrum if you've heard the word naturopath. Someone may have an online degree, like education. However, a naturopathic doctor is an ND, similar to a medical doctor, MD. We've gone through medical school. We've had internship hours. In fact, when we sit for our board exam, we have to know 200 drugs 
and 200 herbals or botanicals. We also are tested on 200 homeopathic remedies and the interactions of all of these. So it's an intense program and more technical education hours than traditional or conventional medical education. Now, based on different states, there are certain states that have licensing. And for example, Utah, you have to have a specific residency to become a physician or call yourself a physician. In California, I am technically a naturopathic doctor or organ. I can refer to myself as a physician. So we're still working on different licensing in different states. Not all states are licensed. So that is a part of the education that I would like to impart because in the many states we are. For example, I was invited to Cedars-Sinai as the representative from our university in Portland. And I found it interesting that I was introduced to other doctors there as, oh, she has a DEA license which I did. I had my DEA license, but I didn't think anything of it, you know? And so it was like, she's an ND and she has a DEA license, which to emphasize that, that means I can prescribe certain scheduled drugs. And I only had my DEA license to prescribe testosterone at the time. However, that was the, you know, the introduction. So we do have different training in the sense of conventional medicine. Many of us, when we graduate, we choose to go into private practice. Another term that maybe people relate to is functional medicine. So there are some medical doctors who then get additional training in what's called functional medicine. And we have very similar underlying philosophies. That's really helpful to know. I guess I'm wondering for somebody who is a patient who doesn't have a uh, physician or doctor or whatever we may call and develops some type of problem. Is there an obvious type of problem that somebody would seek you out for or a naturopathic physician just generally in the general marketplace? How does somebody decide what kind of doctor to, to go to? Well, I can't speak for everyone, but I can maybe speak for myself and perhaps the people who choose to come and see me. So I will speak upon myself, which I struggled myself with irritable bowel syndrome and weight issues for many years. I had debilitating blackout headaches in college. And I decided to, I had to learn a lot about myself. And I think that's a lot of what people are doing with what I call getting their Google doctoral degree. They're doing a lot of their own self-care. And I would even research my doctors. I went to an osteopath. I went to, and I was, you know, looked even unhealthy and I was presenting myself to the healthcare system and nothing really came up. I was at a weight loss clinic and they'd get my labs and like, well, nothing's really wrong with you. So there must be something wrong with you in here. Or you must be sneaking or hiding or cheating or all of these things. I was like, no. In fact, I was raised in Southeast Alaska on salmon from my own family catching it. (laughs) We were commercial fishing. I grew up from spring water right off the mountain. So even maybe the health nut family and I still struggled. So this is when I then found the medical community couldn't exactly help me and I just kept getting sent away of it must be you're the problem, which is 
honestly part of it. It really is. You do have to take part in your own health and rescue. However, when I found naturopathic medicine, many things started to fall in line. And when I found what we referred to as epigenetics, I found out more about myself because we can talk about having this healthy, pristine lifestyle, but I was even an example of it, of there was more to it than just putting good water on the soil. You might have to look at the soil and say, do we have the right minerals, the right pH, the right nutrients for this, at my age, child to grow? And so that's where... When I landed in, of course, studying something that I had, which was irritable bowel syndrome, and I learned the reasonings for my symptoms, I then had to learn why I had it in the first place and how do I keep it away in that bay. And that, again, is nutrigenomics and epigenetics. That's the foundation of your house. And that's how I was able to shift my life and my health. And I believe I'm able to get better with age. And just in terms of your approach, I guess, both to yourself and to your patients, is it largely a matter of figuring out drugs, herbal remedies, are there lifestyle changes? Because it sounded like your lifestyle was fine, but I know for some people who have irritable bowel syndrome, that's not the case. In general, what might be the prescription or the remedy that may be proposed? This may not be a fair question because I know everybody's different. But Well, this is an excellent question, actually, for the sake of irritable bowel syndrome. Because irritable bowel syndrome is basically an umbrella term for we don't know exactly, we can't find you know a very specific or organic reasoning for your symptoms. And so in terms of we both need each other, conventional medicine, I want to know that somebody has been worked up properly by a specialist, and oftentimes there's nothing else they can do for them. I have one particular case where they'd been going to Cedar sinai for 10, they came to me on the anniversary of the, it was going to be the 11th year. And so I had a stack of medical records, CD-ROM, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of pages of medical records. And I'm able to look at that, assess every single thing that was done from biofeedback at the rectum to biofeedback focus. I mean, so there's connections to how everything works, okay? And I was able to say, okay, all of these mechanisms have been looked at, but what about this? And in this particular case, it does relate to pH. Interestingly enough, there is a reason and a procedure. It's almost as simple as going back to physiology However, I actually know the specialist that they were seeing at Cedar sinai I had the patient get a specific test, and they even said to me, they went to their return appointment, they walked in and said, okay, you still have these symptoms? And they said, no, actually, I do not. I've been seeing Dr. Keller. They happened to know me. They saw the test that I ran, and the patient even said to me, you know what, I think you really, there was something about that test because they couldn't stop looking at it. And then as they walked out, they said, you're in good hands with Dr. Keller. Because I happen to know and follow their research and understand their thinking of how things are working. And so I was able to communicate with them in a way where we're on the same page. And really, it's about the patients. We really want them to get better. A terrific story, plus heartening to hear. Is it typical that you work or people like yourself work and interface with physicians and other health professionals? 
It's very common because many people that I see are very intelligent. They're well-read. Some of them have read studies I haven't even read yet. They've been to the specialist. They're well-connected. And they often have been, there's nothing else we can exactly do for you. So that's the reason I like my relationship at Cedars. I work with quite a few patients that they at least know my thinking and philosophy. I know how to stay in my lane. I know when to refer properly. And I'm also very evidence-based and staying up on the information so I can speak to them. So yes, this is very common. I will continue with that patient example because this is what was very fascinating is that on a follow-up, so they have a very stressful job. On the follow-up, it was very interesting how they even specifically said, I think they started having some setbacks. Minor, but noticeable. And they said, I think this might have something to do with the stress in my job. We've had this increased... And I'm like, wow, you're watching your own movie. This is fantastic. So you can see this connection because I've also read studies about the stomach and pH. And they have studies about us saying grace and having gratitude for our food and pausing and you know, not watching television. You don't want to be watching the news. You want to be smelling your food and, and starting the processes of digestion. So it was just interesting to me to have, or at least I tried to reflect, I call it their own movie trailer to them to say, oh, look at this pattern that you see and see how this is. You were able to become almost 90% symptom-free. Let's now see what your life circumstance, instead of running back to the doctor and say, fix me, it might be that we actually need to help you fix yourself and your stress response. And that's also epigenetics. Well, I think maybe we should pause and define epigenetics. You know, <laughs> while I think I know what it means. I'm not sure that it's that common a term for everybody. So can uh, you go over kind of epigenetics? and Absolutely. I think the simplest way to summarize it is nature and nurture. So if people think, right, what have I genetically been given? And there was a PBS documentary in 2007 that looked at two mice. They were identical and they were genetically predisposed to be obese. Well, they took one of the mice and they fed it a specific form of chow. And that specific form of chow had a methylated vitamin in it. So if we think about our, our multivitamins, there's specific nutrients in there that are there for, for reasons that we've discovered are important. And by methylating the chow, making a shift in the food, they actually developed one was obese and one was not obese. So another example I give is we're, how to turn on and off the light switches. So if I may make a connection to irritable bowel syndrome, we now know with 98% certainty or what's called validity, which is quite rare in medicine to have a test that validates something, which means we now know that this blood test, if you are positive for it, you have irritable bowel syndrome and there's no way you could have a more serious condition, which is called inflammatory bowel disease. And the reason we know this is based on a test that looks at if we've ever had a food poisoning or traveler's diarrhea the top five bacterial reasons that we could get a tummy upset can leave behind a toxin. And this toxin can trigger an autoimmune or an auto-mimicry of our own tissue that can turn on or turn off the light switch in this phase three part of our small intestine where this bacteria can overgrow. So that's another form of epigenetics. 
you can have something that you were okay, you had rock gut, you never had any problems, but then you may not know that a couple of times or that trip to whatever or the barbecue at 4th of July may have triggered something that then leads to irritable bowel syndrome. And we now know that with a certain level of certainty. So that's another example of epigenetics. So it would seem like people who, for example, complain that I know somebody who can eat whatever she wants and doesn't gain any weight, and I try and do all these things correctly, and I I can't lose weight, or you know, any I'm thinking about things in in my field where somebody says I've got all these things going on in my life and I just don't feel happy. It would seem like somebody like yourself is somebody that they should talk with because there may be a modification that can be made that isn't obvious, that it requires kind of the combination of the behavior as well as modifying their body chemistry. A hundred percent. And also maybe their personality type. So a great example is like a young tech person comes to see me and I see their list and they're taking a B complex. And I asked them, they were kind of, they didn't, were perplexed. They're like, why are you having me stop this B complex? Because this is for X, Y, Z. And I say, I know there's great evidence for X, Y, Z. However, in you, I believe it might be causing some static or some interference at this particular area. So they kind of begrudgingly stopped because they're like, why would I stop this B12, you know, this B complex? And yet they came back and they were like, oh my gosh, my anxiety just dropped. I was able to go to sleep like that. And they're like, wait a minute, I thought that was good for me. That's where I come in as an epigenetic intuitive because I love and I appreciate the research. I want the research. And yet I also, and I follow genetic reports where the, they actually will show me, look, for example, fish oil. Fish oil will put on the brakes for inflammation at this particular gene. Well, I might need to know what else is going on upstream and or around as to how much fish oil and or for how long for that person. And we may actually need to pulse that based on their lifestyle and what's going on with them. So no, I think you gave a good example of how I like to help people. It sounds like much of your work is kind of located in the gut. Is this common for naturopaths or do we have other kinds of specialties? Are there neurologic or orthopedic naturopaths or, you know, does it tend to be an internal kind of thing where endocrines and things of that nature Yes, there are. We don't have necessarily like the specialties, like again, in conventional medicine where you do a residency, a fellowship, and you know, that's your specialty. We are technically supposed to say we're an expert or we focus in an area. But absolutely, I have a colleague who I adore, Dr. Paul Anderson. He is very well known in oncology. He actually just wrote a book. And there are naturopaths on staff at Oncology Centers of America, I believe. One of the options for internship in Portland, Oregon, there was a cardiology specialties, a cardiology center in Portland, Oregon. So yes, there are people, dermatology, minor surgery, people can focus on particular areas that they are experts in. And yes, mine happened to land in the gut because I believe all physicians know Hippocrates' statement of all disease begins in the gut. So many people will say that they do treat the gut. I just happen to be more niche and specifically focused on 
that research on irritable bowel and small intestine bacterial overgrowth. There's certainly a lot of thinking in my field that the the gut is kind of like a second brain and that many of what happens there impacts upon learning and experiencing and lots of other things. So I think it it makes a whole lot of sense from, from my standpoint. I'm wondering, not that people always do what's best for them, but from the standpoint of your field, is it appropriate that somebody have kind of like a naturopathic physician as a, a primary doctor or somebody on call? Or are there general principles that people follow and when things go off then then contact somebody like you? What Where do you fit in in the, the structure, at least if people were to follow your advice or my advice or anybody else's? Sure. I think it depends on what state and what they have access to. I know for myself, I'm not doing acute care. A majority of people I see have chronic long-term. They've been working on their illness for quite some time. So that's that. And at the same time, I'm also working with their specialists. So sometimes I've had some, I can think of one case where they're seeing the world leading expert of this very rare condition. I call them the unicorns. (laughs) But so yeah, there definitely has to be that connection with them having a tribe or a team that's helping them. And then other times there are people where this is the only thing that's ever helped them. And if they hadn't found naturopathic medicine, they would still be unwell. And sometimes in some cases, very miserable. Yeah. And in general, where do things like exercise or stress management or things of this nature, where do they fit in from your framework if in fact they do? Actually, one of the things that I include in a program I offer is a telomere test. So telomeres are kind of your telling you about your age. They're the ends of the DNA. I call them like the plastic tips of your shoelaces and they start to shorten with age. And we can actually do a cheek swab test and see what the length of our telomeres are and if it relates to our chronological age. And they have evidence and references of showing that these behavioral and lifestyle modifications, we can actually see changes to the telomeres within three to six months. So I often like to retest at three months just to give that, you know, that enthusiasm and showing people that we can actually make changes We can actually even make more changes when we know more information about a person's specific propensities. For example, I found out genetically that it is better for me to have a certain percentage of carbohydrates. Now, people might equate, oh, this pie chart says you can have 50% carbohydrates. They might equate that to processed bread types of carbohydrates. But when I read that, I think, no, plant-based legumes and and plant-based carbohydrates. So I have a salad every day and that salad has 56 grams of carbs, 15 grams of fiber, right? So that's the type of carbohydrates. And I get more specific on that. Occasionally I might have that other processed pizza once in a while, but that's very occasional, right? Whereas before I had been eating in a way that was maybe more paleo, keto, other ways, other percentages, And that didn't work well for my body. 
I intuitively didn't feel right, but I kept doing it because that's what the plan says you're supposed to do. And so this is another advantage that once I saw, oh, wait a minute, no, this actually is more enhancing for my system. And I shifted to that. I'm happier, my body's healthier, and I'm able to see the the results or at least track something by my efforts. Things that have the most evidence, interestingly enough, is meditation. It has a lot of research behind it. And so that's also included in my program. I have like a activating meditation that has biurinal beats that actually help somebody get in a meditative state. This has really great research behind it too. And so these are all the things that I'm giving pillars to help say, here's the evidence of what can actually help and shift and maintain your telomere length, i.e. maintain your rejuvenating, right? Instead of aging. (laughs) So I really appreciate that we have those now to kind of give some people a guideline and self-motivate. Great. Well, tell us a little bit about your program. I mean, in addition to seeing individual clients or patients virtually, you do have, I believe it's called the Intuitive Edge Accelerator. Did I get that right? Um, Yes, yes. So tell us a little bit about it and what would happen if somebody signs up for it. Well, I provide the activating portion is this activating meditation. So the research shows that after a certain time period, 20 minutes is ideal, specifically with these biurinal beats, which are frequencies set at just a slightly different frequency in each ear so that there's a difference between the two. And at certain levels, the research has shown that it stimulates the left brain and the right brain. And that can get people into different states. I myself tried many times to meditate and I would just get frustrated. And it wasn't until I had something to distract me in a sense that that then started to help me get into a more meditative practice. So that's one thing that's included. And then I also work in terms of using emotional freedom technique or tapping or tapping on acupressure points. There's also new research showing that this can reduce cortisol levels. And so again, this is something that can be added. In fact, I do it simultaneously while listening to my activating meditation. I am working on whatever whatever mindset things are coming up for the day. I am tapping on the negative and then I tap in the positive. And that helps me physically feel more calm and relaxed and open for the day. And then there's one-on-one consulting with me. There's an initial consult to say, for example, look through all of this information, review people's supplements, medications, even part of their medical history. I see people who are with concierge plans. They have their specialists, but they really just need a second set of eyes, almost as like a patient advocate to educate them and, and get it all sorted and or have me see like be complex example, perhaps there's something that could be removed to enhance the situation. For example, sleep is my number one important thing. I really want to make sure people are getting sleep. So that's included as well as a customized supplement pack in terms of I can even custom blend supplements so that I can decide how much of an exact nutrient amount is in the blend. If there is a professional you know, FDA-approved facility supplement line available, great. But otherwise, I have access to actually compounding and 
making that supplement very specific to that individual. So that's where people have found that having this assistance instead of having the, I don't know, and I think I'm doing everything right, but I'm not getting better or having the life where it should be, I should be happy and everything's great, but I'm not. Neurotransmitters are, that's a lot of the biochemistry that I look at. And we can maybe again, find things that just with a slight shift or a slight enhancement or even changing the food slightly, we can nourish those pathways better. And the mechanics of the program, how long does it last? Do people have to, I'm sure it's all online, but do people have to physically be there at a particular time? It's virtual. It's 12 weeks. And we clearly want to get started from the time that I have a conversation, make sure that this is right, that we're connecting. We have an onboarding process and then a very extensive intake where I'm asking people all kinds of questions down to their food, many about their history, and getting to know them as best as I can and what their goals are. For example, I might have somebody who lives in an area where mold might be higher up on my radar, or I look up a person's zip code, I'm able to see what is the toxin level in their area. I've even had people who are in rural areas that don't realize that they're actually in a higher toxin area. And so we might need to break down, okay, we need to focus on your air and your water as the first pillars of what we're addressing first, because those things can often make major changes themselves. Is it done individually or are there group sessions or how does that work? This is all individualized, one-on-one with me right now. I will eventually have group option, but right now it's directly with me bi-weekly. We have that initial session and then two times a month we are following up and making sure that people are noticing their changes and also getting education on why they're making those changes And then because at the end of the 12 weeks, we will also be looking at their telomeres. We get a repeat to see how those efforts have either maintained or enhanced, right? Like to say we can even get better with age. I even have a photo of me four years ago that I'm like, wow, I actually feel that I look better now. (laughs) That's always a positive. Yeah, you do look great. So I'm sure you're a good advertisement for your program, which brings me to the age issue. We've been fortunate in that we have a broad age range of listeners, but there are a number of people in the senior years that, because of the nature of my book and some of the things that I've been working on, I'm wondering, are there specific things that people have to be concerned with just in general terms relative to aging? Do we start losing a particular chemical or do we need to build up Something Are there things that people in, in my age range in particular should be aware of? Sure. I know one that is, is a little perplexing or is an assumption I have found because like I mentioned, I look at the stomach and many people are told or assume that, and I'm even told this in medical school, that as we age, we produce less stomach acid. And that's one that because I've studied and do in the, the test, it's called a Heidelberg pH test. I haven't done that in a particular geriatric population. However, I have a few cases. And the assumption that the person thought they had low stomach acid because they were in their 70s, so they were taking supplementation for to increase their stomach acid. In fact, they actually had high stomach acid production. And when I insisted, because we were actually colleagues, that they go and get 
an endoscopy, they actually had destruction going on in their stomach from having been not treating it correctly, making this assumption, well, I'm older, you know, so I don't have enough stomach acid. And that's one I actually try and tell everybody because it's so common that people think it's because of low stomach acid that they have even their bacterial overgrowth. After testing 100 stomachs via this testing, actually only 5% of people had low stomach acid. Wow. So that was a real surprise to me. Other things that I think just in general, regardless of age, are really, if anyone has done 23andMe or Ancestry.com, I'm actually utilizing that raw data to upload that into a different report where I can get more of that, what we use the term nutrigenomics. And if I can see that there are some, for example, vitamin D, we now know that COVID can relate to having a vitamin D deficiency. So there can be, perhaps, I might be able to look at and assess if somebody has multiple, we call them SNPs, for vitamin D, that I might increase their, their need to either get checked to see what their vitamin D levels are and or monitor their vitamin D levels. This was actually from JAMA that was published a couple months ago. So that's one of the things where by way of knowing that, so at one point my vitamin D levels were a four. One, two, three, four. All of my colleagues were like, is this person, do they have cancer? Are they, you know, like they said some real, I was like, actually it's me. So that's how, again, I discovered for myself, my epigenetics at that level, I was able to then recognize how I could get my vitamin D levels specifically up because that is a fat soluble hormone slash vitamin and it's about proper absorption. So there are things about the individual versus maybe the age brackets is what I'm trying to say. That's again, that individuality, that N of one versus this cohort mentality of, okay, well, because you're this age and you're this gender, this is going to be the inevitable problem or solution. It's wonderful news. It's kind of the way that I've encouraged people to think that the number of their age is not the determining factor. It's one factor, but there are lots of other things that enable people to, you know, continue to be the best version of themselves throughout the lifespan. I have so many more questions and we have so little time, but you brought up one point that there may not be an answer for, but since you mentioned COVID, the issue of strengthening the immune system, from your perspective, are there some general principles or whether it be vitamins, herbals, lifestyle things that you recommend just as a general rule? I know that Again, there's individual variation. We're seeing this in the way that people react to COVID, where some people who theoretically are healthier have had a, a harder time than, than others who are less healthy. But I'm just wondering, are there some general principles we should be keeping in mind since it doesn't seem to be getting any better? Yes. And anytime I'm, I'm looking at what are specific things, I want it to be evidence-based. So meaning there's been research and, and something that's backing up what it is that I'm saying. So the vitamin D deficiency is very clear and that coming out from a, a major publisher is really encouraging. And then there's been also information about glutathione 
deficiencies. So we do have evidence of this. And glutathione, I like to use an example of if we have a lot of garbage sitting out on the street and you didn't have any garbage trucks coming along. So glutathione are the garbage trucks. So we also want to know how much garbage are we producing. That can be literally the packaging. How much of your garbage bag literally gets filled up with packaging <laughs> versus whole foods, right? We might be putting that fruit into the plastic, but you know, so that's the thing. Because a lot of things have turned into like the 100 calorie packs and all this, right, to keep us in check. But the major things that we can do, especially being more indoors, is ensuring that we have better air quality. So that's where I look at the five, like just some simple things about life, getting sun, getting fresh air, however we can, right, safely. That's why I have all these plants and I specifically get plants that produce oxygen. So there are certain plants and even NASA, they can be NASA certified to say, look, these are taking out these chemicals from the air. And at night, this bad boy is putting oxygen into my space. And that's fantastic. So there are other things like a shower filter. What are the things that we can take off what I call here in Los Angeles, the smog? How can we relift the smog off of our car? So that comes from having filtered water, having a shower filter, which can be $30 on Amazon, to ensuring that you're having a really good quality water filter. And then, of course, movement. If we can't get outside, how can we move our body inside? How can we do calisthenics? How can we do, you know, there's certain things that we can do using our own body weight and just movement is essential. Or even lightly jumping on a rebounder, that's going to help move the lymph and, and get our body. The sense of movement is important because I think the first wave, we saw a lot of sedentary and then large consumption. You know, it was like Thanksgiving every day. So I think that's the biggest thing is also if you need to have some maybe set some guidelines for yourself right now, I'm looking at a sugar situation, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm no longer going and buying anything in a package. Anything for the next, you know, from moving forward is going to come from fruit. Those are, are really, really great pieces of advice. And I know, uh, again, now that people are settling in with the notion that this is going to last for a while, the notion of sitting around and not doing anything just can't work long term. It shows in people's bodies and the way they feel. So I'm going to exercise self-discipline. And there are two definitions that I have to ask of you. And then for all my other questions, we'll have to get you back another time. But there are two things. One, we talked about the term SIBO or SIBO. I think most of us know of IBS or irritable bowel syndrome, but tell us a little bit about SIBO because it seems to have been a focus of a considerable amount of your work. Yeah, so SIBO is, I like to say, it is stating the obvious. Like we just said, it's small intestine bacterial overgrowth. We're saying what it is. And that stems from a research team here in Los Angeles, Cedars-Sinai, that looked at irritable bowel syndrome and in a way that they discovered, could it be something else? So some people will have literally visible distension, meaning they might get this like pregnancy belly is what people, I had men tell that say this, I have women of all ages and they even make, might take photos. Look at me, this is like the nine months, this is maybe six months. 
And that is the actual stretching of the, the tube of that intestine. For some people, a little tiny stretch can send them to the emergency room in excruciating pain. For other people, they can stretch. It's a balloon. It's uncomfortable, but they're not in pain. So all of these things, when we're actually have overgrowth in the small intestine, as you mentioned before, this is where 90% of our neurotransmitters, how it relates to our mood, are made and created, and we need to have a proper area for this to be done. This is also the major area where all of our nutrition or nutrients are absorbed. So if we have bacteria in the way or traffic jam, right, there's difficulty for our food to get properly digested. That's why my vitamin D levels were so low. And if they're there for a long time, it's like having a rash. It can also cause like a rash on the skin and maybe even cause a break in that intestinal lining. This is called leaky gut, or the term is, we call it intestinal permeability, means something is able to get through the bloodstream. And so that can cause a whole cascade of problems in connection to the brain. So these microbes can also be related to some things that we're finding in the plaques of brain tissue. We've actually found fungal components and different chemicals. So we really want to keep our gut lining nice and tidy and tight. And we want these bacteria moving on down, not getting stuck in the small intestine, but going to the large intestine where they are our friends and they actually produce nutrients and vitamins. So having this small intestine bacterial overgrowth can lead to an array of symptoms connected to irritable bowel syndrome, from loose stool to difficult to pass stool to abdominal bloating and to the extreme of having emergency room type abdominal pain. You use the term intuitive, the intuitive edge accelerator and so on. For a lot of people, intuitive and science don't seem to to mesh. When you use the word intuitive, how do you use that as a physician and what does it mean? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do understand the scientific side of prove to me the intuition, the word intuition. However, I will maybe debate with someone if they are educated in medicine, how they're not using their intuition because they take the data and they have to make an assessment. They have to make a diagnosis. They have to choose. They can have the differential, but their intuition is what also says it's got to be this. Okay. So I'm utilizing my background, my scientific information to then intuit what is right for the N of one, that individual that I've gotten to know that I know more about their system so that I can provide them a more specific solution than having them take the standard route when I already know there's a shortcut. Now, I appreciate people taking the standard route. However, oftentimes they've maybe done that route five times and they need, what's your intuition on what I should actually do? And we also have more, especially since I was a child of the 90s, getting introduced to the power of the mind-body connection Now we actually have conferences and continuing education that I was actually just newly introduced to myself being so evidence-based. I also found a continuing education for and certification for medical intuition training. 
where they actually do studies and they are showing that the practitioners have 94 to 98% accuracy rates. Now, again, these are often healthcare practitioners who have a medical background, so they're able to get their intuition and surveying and scanning the body to that level of accuracy. One of the first things we learn in psychology is about individual differences. And I think basically that's kind of what you're saying, that if you're really treating people as individuals, you have to treat them as individuals. You know, it's not a a diagnosis category that means that everybody gets it the same way. You have to look at multiple factors, and that's really good good to know that it actually is something that's that's emphasized and is a part of the way that you function. This has been so enlightening, so informative. I just am really grateful. As you can tell, we ran over time, but I'm sure the listeners will gain as much from it as I did. Really appreciative, Dr. Mounty, for all that you've taught us today and for how you've been able to you know, verbalize it in in ways that we all can understand it. So I'm sure that people will want to be in touch with you. How do they do that? Sure. If they are interested in SIBO, my website is SIBOsolution.com. And if they're interested in my overall health assessment and everything that's Intuitive Edge uh, Activator Program. That is my intuitiveedgedoctor.com. And we can do an insight session and I can assess the situation and provide value as to how I can be of service to someone if it's best for them to consult with me one-on-one or other resources that I could direct them to. Okay, great. And we'll have all the contact information on the show notes. I think there's a whole lot to be gained by working with you and I'm certainly grateful that you've been able to share your knowledge with us. And uh, for those of you who are new to the program, aren't used to listening to the podcast, you can see the quality of the guests that we have and the quality of the information that you're able to gain from it. We hope that you all, whether you're old or new to the podcast, will listen, download, rate, uh, comment upon the podcast, and tell others about it. And so, as time runs out, this is Dr. Ron Kaiser. The podcast has been Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. Our guest has been Dr. Melanie Keller, and we are looking forward to seeing you next time when we have another interesting guest And Dr. Melanie, can't promise you that I'm not going to be asking you again at some point in the future because I did not use up all my questions. Thanks again. And everybody stay safe and see you in the next podcast.